From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Wednesday, May 12th. We know that snowpack plays a big role in the West's water supply, but some researchers say that groundwater is equally important, particularly in the Colorado River watershed. From KJZZ in Phoenix, Ron Duncan reports that researchers are examining the walls of the Grand Canyon to better understand how groundwater responds to climate change. Ben Tobin has questions. He's a geologist at the University of Kentucky who started learning about caves as a young man, following the footsteps of his mother, also a geologist. For a time, his work brought him out west to Grand Canyon National Park. Caves are a really special place in many ways. Tobin specializes in what's known as karst hydrology. These are underground systems made up of soluble rocks such as limestone. He says caves are like another world, with blind animals, fossils, and archaeological finds. If you take a moment, you may find small arachnids called pseudoscorpions. I mean, everyone thinks of stalactites and stalagmites, but then we also have these huge, like, gypsum curls that can be multiple feet long that are often they look like toothpaste being squeezed out of a toothpaste tube. And caves transport water. Underground rivers that start as rainwater and make their way through the Grand Canyon's geology. Tobin wanted to know how the water travels from top to bottom. So in a series of studies that he started several years ago, his team of researchers placed fluorescent dye and sinkholes on the Kaibab Plateau and then hiked down into the canyon to see where the dye came out. It was hiking the equivalent of from sea level to the top of Mount Everest and back down over the course of 200 miles. At first they thought the water would more or less go straight down. I choke about this a lot. Water is lazy. It just wants to go downhill, and so it just finds the easiest way down it can. It flowed downhill, but also horizontally. Some of it showed up about 20 miles away, and it showed up in different springs than the researchers predicted. What was really confusing to me was that it it never just flowed to one place. It always flowed to multiple places. Water may be lazy, but it's not simple. Understanding the springs is important, he says, because about a quarter of the world's population relies on water that comes from karst systems. We're trying to understand how water gets down to this kind of big regional aquifer. The research also has important implications for the future of the canyon and surrounding communities. Most people think the reason to go to the Grand Canyon is for the big ditch or to float a river trip. But the real beauty and magic of the canyon are the spring-fed side canyons. That's Abe Springer, a geologist at Northern Arizona University who has spent much of his career studying those side canyons and the water that flows in them, such as Kanab Creek. Springer says that water is important to plants and wildlife in the canyon. In the Grand Canyon National Park, there's estimated to be over 750 springs. But there's another reason to understand how the springs work. They make up a significant portion of the Colorado River's flow. Springer says that river managers tend to look at annual snowpack and the level of Lake Mead when they assess the regional water supply. He says it's more complicated than that. Most people's perception is that all the flow of the Colorado River comes from a melting glacier in Colorado, and that's completely false. The majority of the contribution of the flow of the Colorado River comes from groundwater. A lot of that groundwater comes from the upper basin states. By the time it gets to the Grand Canyon, the entire river is spoken for. 
That means six million park visitors, local communities, and tribes have to rely on springs and wells. The importance of groundwater in, in the Grand Canyon region cannot be overstated. Fred Tillman is with the U.S. Geological Survey. There's almost no area where groundwater is more critical than in that Grand Canyon area, even though the Colorado River is right there. They, just, they don't have access or rights to it. In recent years, resorts, uranium mines, and other developments have been proposed in the Grand Canyon region. Critics say there's not enough water and that new demands could upset its unique network of springs. And with climate change, there may be even less in the future. I'm Ron Dungan in Phoenix. This story is part of ongoing coverage of the Colorado River, produced by KJZZ in Phoenix, distributed by KUNC in Colorado, and supported by the Welton Family Foundation. Cries for police reform continue to ring across the nation as black and brown people die at the hands of police. The Mountain West News Bureau's Robin Vincent reports on how police reform efforts have reverberated through our region. New Mexico resident Elaine Maestas says if you were in need, her sister Alicia Lucero was there to help. Even if it was like the last of her money, the last $20, it didn't matter if you were a friend, a family member, or somebody that she just met, she would help you out. The sisters were close. Lucero was a loving aunt to Maestas' children and a caregiver for her father when he became ill. Lucero, though, was very different after she got in a car accident and doctors found she had a brain tumor. She underwent surgery and was receiving treatments, but was having panic attacks, seizures, and acting erratically. One night, Lucero's cousin called the cops after she hit her uncle in the head. Police responded and escalated the situation. I remember my uncle calling me and, and he said, Elaine, like, I need you to sit down. And I knew right when he said that, like something was wrong with Alicia. On July 22, 2019, Bernalillo County Sheriff's deputies shot Alicia Lucero 21 times. The police report paints a picture of chaos. Lucero, at 4 feet 11 inches, reportedly emerged from her trailer carrying a knife after officers repeatedly commanded her to come out. The report says police tased Lucero, but she kept going. Lucero's cousin, meanwhile, says he never saw the knife. Again, maestas. My sister's death was completely preventable. And the sad thing is, is that her life was taken by the men that were called to help her. People in the Mountain West are killed by police at a rate more than one and a half times the national average, with New Mexico at the top of the list. That's something Maestas points to often in her advocacy. She's become a vocal police reform proponent. But, she says, police in the state have been resistant to change. Here's New Mexico Police Union leader Sergeant Jose Carrasco pushing back against reforms introduced in the most recent legislative session. If these bills pass the way you guys have them, there will be no law enforcement left. Among Carrasco's concerns was the New Mexico Civil Rights Act. It did pass. The new law removes qualified immunity, a legal doctrine that protected police from civil lawsuits. New Mexico's Speaker of the House, Brian Egolf, was a co-sponsor. He says efforts to work with police on reform have largely failed because police refuse to recognize the problem. You've got to call it out. You have to acknowledge the problem. But you also need to call out unfair criticism from law enforcement. 
Egoff points to a Department of Justice investigation that found Albuquerque Police Department routinely used excessive force. But DOJ says at least one recommendation has, quote, fallen on deaf ears. Over in Nevada, State Senator Dallas Harris took a page from Colorado's reform playbook to write several measures. The black lawmaker points to policing's racist past to help explain its problematic present. Police units in the United States were born of slave patrols. No more than 60 or so years ago, it was a police officer's job to pull me off of a lunch counter. After George Floyd's murder, Nevada legislators banned chokeholds and required officers to intervene when another cop is using excessive force. Now Harris is sponsoring bills on data collection and qualified immunity, to name a few. She says Nevada's historic protests last year signal that the citizens of Nevada are with me. Across the region, activists have precipitated cultural shifts, and they say the battle has just begun. In Utah, where big protests transpired after Floyd's killing, Lex Scott of Black Lives Matter Utah says the state's recent legislative session left her disappointed, and now she's looking to launch ballot initiatives. I don't want to be a negative Nellie over here, but there are just two things that we wanted. Utah passed some reforms this session, and one in particular that policing experts extol, data collection. But Scott wanted independent oversight and the prompt release of body cam footage. Chris Burbank agrees that recent reforms don't go far enough. The former Salt Lake City chief of police is now with the Center for Policing Equity, and he wants fundamental change. Why do we make traffic stops? Why do we arrest misdemeanors? Right? These are the types of things that if you no longer engage in that behavior, you no longer have the bias. Burbank says we've tried to make ending racism a hearts and minds issue to no avail. So instead, he says, we need to limit the activities police respond to, like Alicia Lucero's mental health crisis. The criminal justice system has never solved the problem of drug or alcohol addiction or mental health or homelessness. But, Burbank points out, those problems still tend to occupy the bulk of police attention all across the nation. For the Mountain West News Bureau, I'm Robin Vincent. And that's the KZMU News for Wednesday, May 12th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.